welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series in Moses, like you heard Greg read up there, and, and we've been walking through that series with you guys. Um, we're observing God working in a man, okay, Moses, but then ultimately we're watching God work in a people, which that people ends up influencing the entire earth. And so we heard Norm talk about last week, talk about how he was moving in Moses and the people from moving from doubt to trust. We saw that even though Moses ran away from God, he actually, God still had a plan for him. Like God didn't give up on Moses, even though he ran away from what God wanted him to do. And then we talked through how Moses encountered God through a burning bush in the wilderness and in just in a radical way. And then out of that, God called him back into his action. And, and that's the pattern that you see God do in people's lives over and over again. In my life, probably in your life, is that, is that God actually, even though we may not be faithful all the time, he is faithful and calls us back into it. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna observe actually God moving in Moses to move from fear to faith. And so if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, you can turn to Exodus 14 because that's where we're going to land here in just a minute. So as fear was a problem in Moses' day, it's, it's actually a problem in our day as well. So fear is, is in some ways a gift because it's less, it lets us know that there's a problem. It actually lets us know that there's a risk to us physically, um, uh, emotionally, or psychologically. And so since there's always danger, there's always gonna be fear. So there's actually, a, a, you know, fear gets a bad rap, but there's actually real fear. Uh, I understand this. When I was in seventh grade, I actually had a very healthy fear of the school bully. And the reason I had that healthy fear of him, you know, I was careful which hallways I walked around, is, is that I was his favorite. And so I tried to stay away from him. And then there's also imagined fear. And imagined fear reveals that we can actually uh, create any sort of thing that we can be afraid of. We can learn to be afraid of absolutely anything. And so mental health professionals actually uh, tell us that, uh, that they call these phobias. And there's hundreds of different phobias that, that are really irrational fears. They're not things that actually will hurt us in any way, but we become afraid of those things. And I understand this as well. Uh, when I was uh, a boy, I remember being at a, at a park uh, and there was a slide at the park, and it was, it was red. I remember everything about it. And uh, it was an enclosed slide. Well, I, I hadn't graduated to closed slides yet. And so uh, my mom kept telling me, uh, you know, there's nothing to fear. Go for it. And uh, for two hours, I didn't go for it. And I remember leaving that park because I was so defeated because I knew that this was something that was created for my enjoyment, and yet I actually got robbed of that and got ripped off. And so we, we all can understand that with fear in our lives where there's things that are created for our enjoyment, but we actually miss out because of our fear. Uh, one big fear in our lives that I think we can all understand is like uh, FOMO, right? So fear of missing out. So you have all this knowledge about what's going on in your social circle. You have all this knowledge about what's going on in the world. And so there's this idea of like always trying to be a part of everything that's happening. But in reality, what FOMO does and other fears do is, is they end up stealing from us. Uh, they end up stealing from us the gift of actually being present with those that we're with because we're, we're thinking that there's something else out there. And they end up stealing joy and peace and all sorts of things. 
And then ultimately what fear does when it has its work in us is fear will actually keep us from becoming the person that God designed us to be. That we actually will not become that person. Uh, Bob Goff, he, he said this. I really like what he said because I think it's true. He said, fear will always try to talk us into settling for less. So fear will keep you from settling. Uh, it'll keep you so that you settle from in, apart from what God has for you. And so if we make fear our address, like we camp out at fear and, and make that where we live, then we definitely are on the road to not becoming the person that we were created to be. So, so if fear, if danger is always present, and, and fear, that means that fear is always present, what can we do? Well, we need someone that we can actually uh, look beyond fear to. It's a principle. Look, so fear's there. What can I look beyond to so that it's there? And more importantly, it's just, it's just not any someone, but it's actually someone that will fight for us. Because someone that fights for us makes all the difference. And for me, that's when I actually got freed up of, of the seventh grade bully, is, is when uh, someone fought for me. It was my older brother. And I still remember the day I was standing at my house and the bully and my brother were across the street. My brother's back was to me. And my brother didn't even throw any punches or do anything. He just said something to him and the bully's just face went sheet white. And I was thinking about that. I've never asked my brother what he said. And so, so I, I need to make sure to do that. But, but after that, the bully never bothered me again. Uh, and so it was after somebody fought for me that made, that made all the difference. And so for us today, we need to know that God fights for us. That no matter what area of fear in your life is, is at work today, no matter something, if, if it's gripped you, God wants to fight for you in that. You're not alone in that. A key verse from our passage today is Exodus 14, verse 14, and this is what it says. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. So that's what God does. He fights for us. And, and Moses knew this. Coming out of our passage last week, God says, look, come back into my action. Come back into what I'm doing and rescuing. And Moses learned this. Look, instead of me fighting and doing this in my strength, God's gonna fight for us this time. And that's why the New Testament writer of the Hebrews wrote this about Moses. In uh, Hebrews 11, verse 27, it says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. So that's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn how to, hey, our fear, it's right there. We see it. But if we can look past it and keep our eyes on the one that fights for us, that's what we're going to do. So the passage that Greg read to us, uh, that actually, what it does is it shows God's direction to Moses. Real simple, trust teach other people to trust in me. And then also he gives a summary of things to come. Actually, it actually summarizes all of the chapters, chapter three, all the way through the first part of 14 that we're not gonna read today. And so it summarizes that Pharaoh's gonna put up a fight, but I'm gonna step in and take care of it. So chapter four and 12 are this epic with internal and external struggles. The internal struggles are between Moses, Aaron, and the rest of his family, and then all of the Israelites learning to trust God and then learning to trust one another. So hence a church, right? A group of people that are learning to live in community with one another. And then the external struggle for the people of Israel was actually this heavyweight fight between Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and God. And he had all these other gods that they would worship, but they were false gods. But this was God, 
like big God that created everything. And so Pharaoh goes through this, this, this fight with God and there's these signs and wonders that, that God sends against him so that his people would be set free and be able to worship God. And one after another, it comes against Pharaoh and Pharaoh will throw in the towel several times. He says, look, I'm going to actually uh, stop. You can go. But then he relents as soon as the plague stops. As soon as Moses says stop, it stops. So there's three sets of three plagues that take place between chapter four to 12, all culminating in a knockout punch that God sends against the king of, uh, of Egypt. And, and for that one, it's actually that all of the firstborn of the land and the livestock will die, that death will come over the entire land. This is what God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh in Exodus 11, verse four through five. This is what the Lord says, at midnight tonight I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. And so God's people are in the land of Egypt. So how is God going to take care of them? And they have a rough life, you guys. They've been in slavery for 400 years and their cry of their hearts is it's not supposed to be this way. And so they're seeing God move and work things in in their life and God has said the time is now. And so he gives them instruction like even though this horrible thing is about to cover over the land, I'm going to protect you. So this is what he tells them in Exodus 12, verse 13. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, whose blood? Whose blood is on the blood of the doorpost? Well, God tells them to take the blood of a lamb, a pure spotless lamb, and to then take that blood and put it on the doorpost and death will not come to their homes. And so after this, what God says happens. And this is heavy stuff. Sometimes we can kind of read this and just go on and, 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 and we, cannot, uh, we can depersonalize everything, but huge loss, huge loss to every family in the land, the firstborn. Every livestock in the land, the firstborn, is dead within one night, and yet the Hebrews are completely safe. No, nothing comes near them. And so it's, it's heavy stuff for us. And so after this, Pharaoh decides that he's going to let them go. He says, fine, go worship, leave, just, just go. And so in chapter 13 of Exodus, the Hebrews leave and there's close to two to three million of them that leave because there were 600,000 men and then there was women and children as well. So they think between two and three million people left at that time and they walked out into the wilderness. We've got a picture here that'll be on your screen. And so there's, there's not tons of improvement over the last 3,000 years because this is actually from today, right? But this is right outside of the area that they would have started walking into the wilderness. And so they traveled many miles and many days. There's different opinions about how long it was and the route that they took. Uh, the recent evidence that we think a pretty good idea of where all of this happened, where they actually went through the desert and went into the Red Sea as well. So what God did is he led them through the desert with a pillar pillar of cloud during the day and then a pillar of fire at night. And so he was his visible presence with his people. And so here's the thing though, whether it was three days or two weeks before this happened, they were settling into their freedom of life. 
And this, isn't this how life is? You have a great victory, but then the battle is still on. And so they're in the wilderness, they're traveling, and they are camping out on this beach, right? They go from the desert where things are just bad and they're in slavery and they're camping out on this beach. But then Pharaoh decides, I'm gonna go get them. What did I do? I can't believe I did this. So, so it's, it's thought that uh, there was close to 250,000 trained warriors that were coming after the Israelites. And, and so fear started entering in. So let's pick up the story in Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. So this is really the journey of trusting God. It's, uh, you know, you never arrive. You never sit there and say, well, you know, I, okay, I, I've just got it all figured out. I, I completely function in faith now. Because they were feeling good. Remember, they're at the beach, they're hanging out, and then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's coming back. And so they did the right thing. They cried out to the Lord, but we're gonna see here in a second that patterns of doubt, patterns of fear enter back into their lives. And you may do that in your life. And you may even beat yourself up because of that. Like you may just kind of just say, man, why aren't I there yet? And the reason that you may not be there yet and that you still struggle in some ways is because, because God's entrusting you with more. God's moving you on to bigger things as you trust more in him. So it is with the Israelites. And so we actually have uh, some Google Earth pictures of the Wadi Watur, which is, which is the narrow valley that the Israelites would have actually traveled down into onto this beach uh, so these are pictures today. And then this is where they actually would have seen the, uh, the Egyptian warriors coming through this valley as well. And that's why, and then there's a, a picture uh, from the beach that they, actually, uh, that they actually would be looking back where the uh, Egyptian warriors would be coming down. And that's why they saw them far off because it was narrow. It would have taken them time to travel through. So you can understand where you have no weapons you, you don't have anything to fight with and you have chariots and great warriors coming after you and you're wondering, how did we end up in this spot? Well, let's read in verse 11. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Uh, this sounds like complaining, like I'm watching this, I'm, I think I complain like this sometimes. Like, I mean, complaining is the same for all of ages. Uh, what have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Verse 12, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Uh, we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So the Israelites are entering a, a new level of faith. They're, they're having to trust God in a new way. And what we see visualized here is actually uh, fear and faith are both like a muscle, okay? The more you exercise it, the more you stretch that muscle, you actually will grow that muscle. And so they are finding out that their faith muscle is not that strong. And as they're pushing into this new place, they're going back to the fear muscle. Why? That's the one that they've been operating for, for plenty of time. And so you have to ask the question is, you know, do I believe that God is gonna do what I think he's gonna do? You know, what has God spoken to me? What has God said? Like, what do I believe about God, right? We all have uh, different beliefs about God in our lives, uh, you know, and those beliefs inform how we act 
in time and space. And so it's a whole other thing to believe that God can rescue you from an army. Sure, God can do that, he's able. But it's, then think about it that you're actually there, like in that moment, and you have no place to go and God's there. That takes a whole lot of faith. Now, you have to ask the question, you know, how did they end up there? Like whose decision was it that they ended up on this beach with, with no exit at all? No exit, we can't get away. All there is is water on one side and this valley on the other and you have warriors coming down. And it actually wasn't Moses' fault. God actually told them and led them down the Wadi Watur to that beachhead. So God put them there, right? That'll stretch your theology a little bit. God put them in this place. Why? Well, he says in chapter 14, he says, he says then the Egyptians will know that I am God, that I am the Lord. And so he now is going to rescue them. He's now going to move in their hearts and their lives and rescue them in this place. So faith is the vehicle that, that they're asked to join. Faith is the place that they're actually asked to join into. And uh, that's, that's what faith is, right? Fear, like we know how to do fear. But, but how do you do faith? Like you have things in your life today that you feel that God is asking you to step out in, that, that maybe are beyond your comfort zone. Maybe they don't fit into what makes sense in your life. And so how do you do faith? It's important. So, you know, in the vineyard, we have a saying, you know, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's just, just how it is. And so if you're gonna move by faith, live by faith, you're gonna risk. Well, think about faith as a vehicle. That vehicle is something that you get into, okay? You get into it and you drive. Except the problem is you're not driving. You're actually in the passenger seat or in the back seat. Or maybe you're on a big bus with a bunch of other people. But it's God who's driving and you're along for the ride. And so that's what Moses is in. Moses is on the bus. He's like, hey, God's gonna fight for us, let's go. But the people have to join in as well. So look at verse 13. But Moses told the people, because they're looking for what's our part, what do we do here? Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And where it says just stay calm, that's exactly what the Hebrew word means. It means silence. And so if you're in silence, that means you don't do anything. And for some of us, that's very difficult when we get in places of faith and where God steps us out into because we're actually not supposed to do anything and we just let God do it. Now, I found this out in my own life for the first time, like in a big way. Uh, I went on my first missions trip. So my, I was in my early 20s and we were gonna go to La Paz, uh, Baja, Mexico. So we, uh, I was told that I was supposed to bring a copy of my birth certificate. And so we went up to the ticket counter at LAX and I, I was next in line. I put the copy of my birth certificate. Now, you gotta be specific. A copy of a birth certificate, I thought was I could have the, the copy, so it's an unofficial copy but you needed the official copy. So I handed my unofficial copy to who I describe as the meanest man that ever walked the earth. And he literally took my unofficial copy, threw it back at me and said, this doesn't work, you can't go, literally. And I felt like I wanted to cry, but I didn't. And he just said, you know, it's like in the movies, he looks and he goes, next? 
And, and I'm, so I, I stormed off like any spiritual person would. I mean, literally, I was almost running across the terminal. And so all my team members actually chased me down and they said, Cody, let's pray. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what? The circumstances are totally against me. They don't make any sense. I mean, the factually, the guy said, I can't go. And so what's the point? But I, I was able to see God fight for me. So, so they said, all right, let's hold hands. So we're in the middle of LAX, holding hands in this terminal. And, and so we prayed for like five minutes. And no joke, the meanest man in the world became Mr. Rogers. I felt this, I felt this tap on the back of my shoulder and he said, oh, Mr. Busick, listen, everything's okay. Your documentation is good. Come on back, I'll get you your boarding pass. And, and that was the first time that I was just in awe of saying, God, you fight for me. And it, it could have, it's not just about a missions trip, but he fights for every little detail in my life. I, I, I try to do it myself way too much. I try to carry way too much weight when God's really the heavyweight. So in verse 15, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And so we actually have a picture here. Remember, there was a pillar of, of clouds and then a pillar of fire. In this picture here, it's somewhat of a close-up of this whole acreage of beach where the sand and rock is actually melted together. And so could it be that the pillar of fire was in this place? And it burned all of the sand and the rock together in this place. It would have been the perfect place for the Israelites to actually walk across the 13 miles to Saudi Arabia. There seems to be a natural land bridge underneath the water. And the depth matches the accounts that we see in Scripture. And so this could be the place that they walked across. But when we look beyond fear and we, and we look to the Lord, we get to participate in the fight. That's what you see Moses do. Look what he says to him. He says in verse 15, why are you crying out to me? In other words, like, look, I'm gonna involve you in the fight. Just, just let's get going. And so when we decide to operate in faith instead of fear, little us gets to participate in the big things that God does. And then look at verse 16 where he says, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. So his staff wasn't like a superhero staff. It wasn't dressed up for his, his job. This is the same staff that he held when he met God again at the burning bush that Norm talked about last week. It was the same staff that he used to shepherd the sheep out in the wilderness. It was the same staff that was always with him in a lowly way. It was ordinary. And some of us today may feel like that. We may feel like we're out in the desert. We may feel like that in our lives. We may not be as successful as we thought we would be. We may not have the marriage we thought we would be. We may not have the, we, we may not be the parent that we thought we would be. We may not be the business owner that we thought we would be. Uh, and what God says is like, look, you're ordinary and all of this, I can take it and I can move it into extraordinary. And so a lot of times the, that list that I went through, we end up judging like what we can partner with God with in our lives and do the things that God calls us, like is doing in the world because of our performance on those things. And God says, no, look, I take ordinary staffs, I take ordinary parents, I take ordinary uh, husbands and wives, I take ordinary people and I do extraordinary things in them and through them. That's his business and that's what he does. He's taking two million people right here in our passage, doing the same things. 
walking through what we're going to see in a moment. They're actually going to walk through a sea onto dry land in the middle of it. It's amazing. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, He raised his hand over the sea with the staff, and the Lord opened a path with the wind, okay? And the, and the, the pillar of fire was holding them back. The pillar of, of cloud of, and, and smoke and then also the pillar of fire was holding them back at this moment. And then all of the people of Israel walked through. And so the great warriors, the 250,000 warriors who if you were to put into a fight with all of these people un, unarmed, with little fighting experience, they're enslaved, the circumstance looked bad, but who came out okay? Well, it was all of these people. Why? Because they had faith in God. It wasn't because of their ability. It wasn't because of their background. It wasn't because of anything that they brought to it, but it was all because of God and that God fights for them. And so in your circumstance today, what you're going through, and you don't feel like you're enough, God says to you, I will do the same thing for you. I will fight for you in that instance as well. And all that he asks is what we see in Exodus 14, 31, the result of stepping out in faith with God. In verse 31, it says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And so remember how you spell faith, R-I-S-K. So they put their risk in the Lord. See, putting risk in us and our faith in us, that's dangerous. But putting it in God, that's where life is at. So, so how, do we, how do we take this home? Like, like how do you and I take this home and actually uh, you know, work this out in our lives and make this hour that we've spent together something? Well, here's a couple of principles. The life of fear is fueled by circumstances of life. It's defined by that, with the wrong conclusions. So we see information and circumstances, but we make the wrong conclusions. They are right if we take God out of the picture, but the life of faith is fueled by a conclusion about who God is, regardless of the circumstances. And so what is your thing today that you need faith for? Like each of us has something that God was speaking to us about, about like I want you to move from fear to faith in this area. So maybe it's, well, I'm too young, so I can't. Or I don't have this because I can't. Or I don't have enough money because I can't. Or I'm, I'm not pretty enough because I can't. Or I'm not handsome enough because, you know, so I can't. I, you know, I'm not smart enough, so I can't. Um, I don't have the background because I can't. Uh, all, I failed too much, so I can't. See, that's all the wrong conclusions. But the life of faith says this. It says, it says even though... I'm in this place, I can because God is with me. That's the message all throughout scripture where everything is changed, not because of the ability of people, but because of who God is. So remember what we read at the beginning in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. All of it was by the power of trusting in God by faith, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because we, he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. So this, this journey of Exodus is, is really amazing. It, it, to be able to watch what happens, and there is tons of archaeological and history that goes into this. Uh, we see writers write that weren't necessarily people of faith, and they back up all of this scenario that we just read. So it's pretty amazing. But if you go back to the last plague, remember the knockout punch that God sent with the death of the firstborn, 
It was what that kept the Israelites safe? It was the blood of a lamb that they put over their household. Now, this was the celebration or the festival of Passover. And so the faithful Hebrews, the Israelites, celebrated this, this festival for thousands of years until Jesus came. And it was the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, that was walking with his disciples one day and he looked and he pointed and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That statement was right because God had this moment that he rescued them, but then he was pointing towards this ultimate moment where the Passover would be personalized, where the Passover would be a person. And that person was Jesus Christ. And so the first exodus was amazing as you saw two million people rescued physically from this place and brought into faith with God. But there's a second exodus that's happening. And this second exodus has been happening for 2,000 years. Jesus inaugurated this exodus. Paul wrote to the Colossians this. He said, he said that, that Jesus is rescuing the people from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. So can you see it? Can you feel it? That's the biggest thing that's been happening on the earth for the last 2,000 years. And it's this thing that it's just not two million, but it's millions upon millions upon millions of people that God is setting free from darkness, setting free from sin, setting free from life. And so if, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're in that exodus. And, and in a way, God's calling you, will you be my Moses? And yet there's just not one Moses, there's, there's, there's thousands and millions of Moseses that will help other people get set free, that will go to the kings and the people that are holding people captive and set them free. It's also said of Jesus that, that on the cross, that God made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities that hold people, hold people captive, and he conquered them on the cross. And so all the work's done. And you say, well, where is it he headed? Where is the promised land that God is leading to? Well, the promised land is this. The promised land is a place where there's no more tears. There's no more dying. There's no more death. There's no more division. There's no more of the things that, that hold, us, hold us captive, that make us fear. All of that stuff is gone. The lion lays down with the lamb. Everything's good in that place. That's where things are headed in the kingdom of God. That's the promised land for all people. But then there's the other person. There's the person that you may not be a follower of Jesus today. You may not be in that place where you've said yes to Jesus Christ. And I did it as a 15-year-old at a vineyard church in San Luis Obispo, California. And my life was forever changed. And, and it's not that it became a straight line right away. God's still just doing, working so much in me, creating me into the person he made me to be. But God has that call for each person to come into this exodus from being in slavery to sin, from being in slavery to addiction, from being in slavery to doing life themselves, to coming into relationship with him. And so those that are in that place that you want to give your life to Jesus today, I actually want to lead you in a prayer. And there's no magic in the prayer. The, the, what's powerful is when the intent of your heart meets, meets the intent of God's heart which is that you would come into relationship with him and receive his love. And so let's pray this prayer. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me and you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. You can pray it out loud uh, wherever you are, wherever you're comfortable. But pray this prayer if that's you. You're saying yes to Jesus today. Lord, come into my life. I'm in need of a savior. I ask you to wash me 
and cleanse me and make me new. I believe you died for my sins and I believe that you rose again from the dead. So now fill me with new life by your Holy Spirit. I now make you the Savior and Lord of my life. And so all of us join in with those that prayed God. All of us join in with them saying that we want you as the Lord of our life, that we want you as King of our hearts, that we want you in our lives, God. And so move powerfully in our lives, God. Move out fear from our lives, Lord. And move us into faith, Lord. We pray in your name. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com. 